our priest Yeah, I'm right there. You will. When you don't tithe, the ushers feel useless. When the ushers feel useless, they pick fights with junior high kids. When they pick fights with junior high kids, their house gets toilet papered. When their house gets toilet papered, they want revenge. When they want revenge, they go to the supermarket and buy an absurd amount of toilet paper. When they buy an absurd amount of toilet paper, they toilet paper the wrong house. And when they toilet paper the wrong house, they get tased.
Don't let the ushers get tased. Remember to tithe. <laughs> All right. So uh, I hear my microphone working. Are we good in the back now? Yeah. That's my fault, not their fault. Give our media team a hand. They, they can do a great job even when people like me mess up. Um, so hopefully that video and uh, some of the things you've seen over the last few weeks, pastor's video with the money guns, some of the dad math jokes from last week, kind of let you know we're trying to bring a little levity to what's really a, a very serious topic. Um, you know, getting out of debt, living on a budget, paying ties, all of these things that God laid out in his word for us works. It's a plan. It's how he wanted us to spend the money. That's how he wants us to deal with money. If we're obedient, there is an outcome that we expect. We expect that if we do things God's way, that maybe there's going to be a little left over at the end of the month. Is that kind of what we're shooting for? Because nobody wants to go through all this and say, I still don't have any money. That's the reality. So hopefully if we do these things, there's going to be a little left over at the end. But that's where we start running into a problem. Who knows, we live in a world that's really critical when you start showing that things are okay in your life, especially as Christians. You, you heard some of this before. Christians shouldn't act like that. Christians shouldn't drive that. Christians shouldn't do that. We live in a very critical world where it says that you've got to look like you're broke if you're saved. And, and really, those attitudes try to control what we do and how we're doing it. And, and so... Really, this message is about getting our mind right. It reminds me of a movie. One of my favorite movies is Facing the Giants. Anybody seen that movie? It's a great faith-based movie. If you haven't seen it, go find it, go watch it. It's really good. But in the movie, there's a, 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 the main character, or one of the main characters' name is David. It'll be a short kid, not ironically named David. Seeing the connection here? So David is the kicker on the team, and he's kind of the backup kicker, didn't really expect to be on the team. Again, kind of sounds like David in the Bible. Um, and he gets up, and he makes his first kick. What happens? Wide left. Misses. Misses the kick. And he's really down on himself, and he's really upset that this happened. And after the game, his dad's talking to him, tells him he's proud of him, telling him that he believes in him. And here comes David and says, I don't even know why they put me on the team. I don't even know why they let me up there. I knew I was going to miss. And I love what his dad said to him. He said, son, your actions will always follow your beliefs. And that's really what we're here to talk about today is your beliefs. Because the world's trying to feed you a set of beliefs about how you're supposed to act and what you're supposed to do and what money's supposed to be like in the church. And it's not always what God had in mind. And so the world wants us to think that wealth is evil. You've seen that in our society. It says that if you're wealthy, you're doing something wrong, and you're breaking the rules. Well, if money is evil, we have a really big problem in this house. Because the truth is, if you make more than $34,000 a year, and I know the demographics of the area. We, we've done this research. Um, if you make more than $34,000 a year, you're, you're in the top 1%, which is probably just about everybody in this room. According to the world, you're evil. Do you believe that? 
God gives us money. Does God give us evil things? Does God intend for us to be evil? Is that what he wants in our lives? No, I don't believe that at all. So today we're going to talk about these three critical spirits or these three ideas about money. And two of them are toxic and undesirable, and the last one is what God really intends. So we're going to start with an illustration. Um, We're going to start with a Bible story. I'm not going to read the Bible word for word on this, but I do want you to write it down. It's Luke 10, 38 through 42. Those of you taking notes, um, write it down. Go read the story. If I get it wrong, you can tell me later. (laughs) But I love to tell stories. That's why I like to do it this way. So in this story, Jesus and his disciples, they were going along their way, and they came to a house. In this house were two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha's in the kitchen. She's cooking. She's cleaning. She's doing everything to make this thing happen. Most ladies, this is where you are. It's not a sexist thing. It's just reality. If I come to your house and I'm a guest, ladies in there, she's cooking, she's cleaning, she's making everything perfect. And so Martha was busy. She was doing all the stuff that was expected of her. She was keeping it clean, making it look nice. And then here's her sister Mary hanging out in the living room with Jesus. Says sitting at his feet, you know, I don't, you know, in my mind this looks maybe a little different than these chairs. They, they did more of a reclining at the table and she was sitting there listening, probably hanging on every word if you picture this in your mind. And here goes Martha. Comes through the kitchen, she's kind of looking out. Stirring the pot a little bit. You've seen this look, man, when your wife's busy and she feels like you should be doing something. And she comes out of the kitchen and clang, 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 clang. Just just seeing if you'll catch that look as she goes by. Mary's just sitting there watching Jesus. Uh She's listening. And finally, Mary, uh, Martha has had enough of this. And she looks out and says, Jesus, would you tell her to help me? I'm doing all this stuff, and she's just sitting there. And I'm sure she was expecting Jesus to go, that's not what happened. Those that have read the story and know the story, Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Can't say that without thinking Marsha, Marsha, Marsha from the Brady Bunch, but Martha, Martha, Martha. Mary has chosen what is better. One thing is required. She's chosen to do the better thing. Quit focusing on all this stuff that's got to get done. And just focus on me. Focus on your relationship. Focus on spending time with me. Now, that's not to say you don't ever have to work. Not what I'm saying at all. But the the spirit that, that Martha represents in this story is that spirit of pride where we think that we have to do something to get God's approval. And then once we start to get some success, once we start to to earn some stuff and, and, you know, you get a little older like me and you've lived for a little while and, and things are going okay, you, you get kind of proud. Look what I've done. Look how good I am. Look at this. You know, you, you secretly look at your 401k balance and go, wow, that looks good. Look what I've done. And that's that spirit of pride. And, and there's, there's some things about that that isn't what God wants. But if we look at social media today, and we live in a society where it's everybody's highlight reel, right? You turn on social media, sunset, sunset, beach. I'm guilty. About the only post you ever see from me is sunset on the beach, because you really don't want to see the other 50 weeks of the year where I'm sitting in my office like this. 
not exciting. But that's what the world really focuses on. Is look at me, look what I've done. And especially popular people, those celebrities, what are they always showing you? Depending on the music list, do chains, cars, women. Look what I've got. Look at me. That's that spirit of pride. And there's even some Bible verses that have been misappropriated into that way of thinking. <coughs> Excuse me. You take some of this stuff out of context and go, yeah, th- th- this Bible's saying what I believe. Uh, first one is 2 Thessalonians. You'll throw that up for me. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Heard this one? If you live in my house, you better have a job. Second one kind of goes along the same way from Proverbs 10, 14. The hand of the diligent makes rich. And then the last one, to everyone who has, more will be given. This is from Matthew. Heard these verses, kind of used them, kind of thought, yeah, okay, I've got to be working. I've got to be doing something. Nothing wrong with hard work. But when it starts to really manifest in our spirit as a spirit of pride, there's some changes in the way that we respond. We just take it a little bit too far. Rather than looking at what's really important and sitting there and slowing down and focusing on Jesus, we start to think, I've got to do more. I've got to do more. I've got to see that balance go up and up and up and up and up in my checking account. I've got to make that happen. But it demonstrates itself in another way is when God calls us to do something or asks us to help somebody, we start looking at them like, well, I worked for mine. I worked 60, 70 hours this week. Worked out okay for me. Why should I help them? And the truth is, when we talk about these three spirits or attitudes, none of us are ever all of one all the time. So you can be the kindest person in this building, but every once in a while your mind may slip into one of these others. You may see the, the, the family sitting on the corner at Publix holding up the sign and think, well, they just need to go get a job. Now, I'm not telling you give them money every time you ride by, but what I am telling you is that thought in your head that says, I worked, I did it, they should too. That's not what God wants for us. The other thing is we, we just have this lack of compassion when we see people hurting Hurricane Ian, the kids that we're raising money for, uh, for Operation Christian Child, um, Christmas Child, sorry, um, we, we start to think, eh, not that big a deal. But see, when, when we, we, we get this spirit of pride, we lack compassion and realize that as that top 1%, we need to be doing what God's called us to do. So how do we get out of this? How do we get out of that spirit of pride? Well, first we have to understand that everything comes from God. You know, as a parent, I never realized how much I could learn about God from watching my children. Any parents ever get this before? Maybe it's just me. You sit and watch your kids do something, you think, what are they doing? And I swear every time I think that, God's poking me in the ribs going, you're just like that. It happens all the time. And that's one of the best ways that I hear from God, maybe just because I'm sensitive to it now, but my kids will be doing something, and and maybe they're greedy over something they didn't even earn. That happens especially when they're young. And and you think, what are you doing? You didn't even earn I gave that to you. How can you be that proud? And God goes, hey, do that. And and it's, 
It's that way for us. God gave it all to us. How can we be proud of what we did? If I'm good at this, and, and those of you that don't know me well, I, I'm an IT guy. I spend all day talking on the phone, typing on the computer, and, and fixing stuff. And if I think I did all that myself, I'm wrong. God gave me the ability. He gave me the wiring in my brain to be able to do those things. How can I be proud in what I've earned had God not given me the ability to do it? So that's a really good way to combat that. Um, we have to learn to display grace to understand that just because it came easy for me, just because maybe I don't have the problems that led them where they are, doesn't mean that I can't have compassion on them and give them grace and say, hey, you know what? If it wasn't for God and how good he's been to me, I would be in one of those cars that never alone. And I think that every time we come and do that, and there's cars wrapped around the building, and, and, and the second I feel a little bit of pride coming up and saying, I've got food to eat. God says, yeah, but if it wasn't for me, you'd be right here. And then thirdly, sitting at the feet of Jesus regularly helps with this. As you spend more time thinking about how God thinks about these things, we're less like I want to be, like I default to being sometimes. And so the second spirit, the second tendency that I want to talk about is the spirit of poverty. And this comes from the story, actually our second and our third both come from the story uh, in John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. If you're taking notes, here's your reference. Again, read the story later, I'm going to tell you kind of in my words, um, how this went. And this is a story of Jesus had come to a dinner party. It's in Lazarus's house. You might remember Lazarus. If you're an old Carmen fan, Lazarus, come forth. Anybody remember that? Is it just me? Come on. Um, I even played that in kids' church years ago. Kids liked it. Um, but the story is, again, Mary and Martha having a dinner party. Jesus is there. And the Bible doesn't specifically say this is the same one from the last story, but people kind of agree this is the same Mary and Martha. Um, so they're having a dinner party. This is probably like their normal Sunday night kind of thing. Um, maybe they're going to eat, play some train or some nines, play some cards. Um, they're, they're hanging out. And, and so... In this story, um, Jesus is sitting there, he's talking, he's preaching. Martha's in the kitchen. She's still working. I don't, chronologically, I don't know. Well, this must have been after the first one if it was two separate instances because this was just a couple of days before Passover. And so those of you who remember the biblical timeline, we're going to have this story. We're going to have the Passover meal. Jesus is arrested, goes on trial, is crucified. And that's all kind of within a few days. And so this is before Passover, and they're sitting at the table, and Jesus is teaching, Martha's cooking, and suddenly Mary goes and gets this bottle of perfume. And I, I don't know what it looked like, but in my mind, I picture a really pretty vessel. Um, I'm thinking like Fabergé egg kind of container. I don't know what it looked like. If you, if you like word pictures, that's what I'm thinking. Um, but this really beautiful thing of perfume, and, and the text tells us that it cost what was equivalent to a year's wages, 300 denarii. Um, again, you can translate that in today's world. If you think national average, $50,000, $70,000 a year, 
average salary. We're talking some really expensive perfume. Anybody got a really expensive perfume? Stuff's really strong, right? If you get the really nice stuff, imagine breaking open this whole bottle of this really expensive perfume. Picture in your mind the smell going through the room, this wonderful, beautiful smell through the room, through the house. I imagine even the neighbors after a little while could smell it. And she breaks open this perfume and she pours it on Jesus' feet and starts rubbing it with her hair and her tears. And she's anointing or, or, or pouring this over Jesus' feet. Um, and, and this beautiful act, if, if you've ever heard the song Alabaster Box, um, the song that's kind of about this, if you haven't, go find it, it's really great. Um, but she's pouring this on his feet. And Judas, good guy Judas, right? We know what Judas went on to do, betray Jesus. Judas is sitting there in this party, and he kind of looks and goes, mm-hmm, you could have sold that and given it to the poor. But no, you're wasting it right there on his feet. And now the story tells us, I mean, we could have figured this out maybe without the story, but the story makes it really clear. Judas didn't care nothing about the poor. Judas was the guy that held the money box for Jesus and the disciples, and he liked to take a little bit out, stick it in his own pocket. So he was really thinking, hey, if you sold that, I could steal some of it. And so Judas represents this spirit of poverty that says, you really shouldn't have that. And, and the spirit of poverty says that wealth comes from the devil. Our world sometimes makes us think that. They look at us and say, Christian would never drive that. How could a Christian dress like that? They could have taken the money and given it to this, that, or the other. How could they build such a big building? They could have given the money for the poor. The spirit of poverty says you shouldn't do things for God's house. You shouldn't do things for yourself. You should only give the money over here. Um, kind of like our politicians when they say you help the poor and they're all millionaires. But we won't get political. Um, but the spirit of poverty wants us to feel guilty. That whenever we have anything, whenever we start to see God's plan acted out and see things going well, you should be ashamed. And so whether that consciously or unconsciously makes us booby trap our lives so that we do stupid things so we don't ever have a lot of money to show for it, or if you go ahead and do great things and you just feel terrible, the world's trying to make you feel bad for the blessings of God. Did God give it to you? Yeah. Why should I feel bad about that? Okay? And so we have to be really careful about those thoughts. Now, this spirit of poverty has two little sisters. Jealousy and envy. Jealousy says, I want what you have. And to me, this is one of those that I kind of look at half one way and half the other. Ron drives a nice car, and I look at Ron's car and say, I wish I had one of those. Is that jealousy? But if I look at Ron's car and say, look at that car. He shouldn't drive that. That's terrible. Now we're getting a little on the side of jealousy. Even worse than that, though, is envy. Envy says, I can't have a Mercedes. Why should Ron have a Mercedes? That's not fair. No, Ron doesn't drive a Mercedes. Um, that's just for the illustration. But envy says, I can't have it, so you can't either. 
And, and when you look at the society we live in, Tiger Woods used to swing a golf club really well. Michael Jordan can shoot. All these people on stage can sing really well. Um, I can't do any of those things. It's not fair. It's not fair that they get paid lots and lots and lots of money, except for our stage team. Um, it's not fair that Tiger used to make a lot of money. Michael Jordan made millions. You can insert whichever movie star, singer, sports player. It's not fair. But is it? I can't do those things. You're not going to pay to come watch and listen to me sing. But you'd pay to listen to those people sing. So it, it, it's not always going to be fair. People are rewarded according to their abilities and their work. And so we have to understand that we shouldn't take our lessons from the world. How do we avoid the spirit of poverty? Don't listen to the world. There's always going to be people critical of you and what you do. Doesn't matter where you live, who you talk to, what happens. You could have a little or you could have nothing. You could have hundreds or you could have billions. Somebody's not going to like it. Turn them off. Don't listen to them. Understand that everything comes from God. God gave you this job. God gave you this money. God gave you these things. Not so you could appear rich, but so that you could do his work. And that's where we're going to slide into our third one, the spirit of gratitude. And this is really represented by Mary. Now, at this point, Jesus hadn't died yet. But somehow I think Mary kind of understood what was going on, what was coming and what this was going to turn into. Because Mary was already worshiping at his feet. She was already pouring this oil on his feet. So I think she kind of understood what was going on. And what we saw from her was an amazing outpouring of gratitude. Now, the Bible doesn't say where this perfume came from. It doesn't say that she was rich or poor. Now, do you have an extra $50,000 laying around? So maybe she had a little something because she had this big bottle of perfume that cost so much money. But she wasn't going... No, she wasn't hoarding it to herself. She recognized that this was a gift from God. And she came to him openly and said, if this is what you need, I'm going to do it. The spirit of gratitude that says, this stuff isn't mine anyway. I'm going to give it for God's purpose. I'm going to use it for what he needs me to use it for. And that's that spirit of gratitude that says, this isn't my stuff. I'm just watching after it. I'm just holding on to it. And so the outcome of this is obedience and generosity. If God says, this is what I need you to do. If God says, give to this person or support this mission or support this thing. Obedience and generosity is the outcome of this feeling of gratitude. Of I want to do what God's called me to do. I want to use this stuff for what God's called me to do. To do. So our call to action is really, what does this look like in our lives? How do we live this out so that I can live the way God wants me to do? It's the stuff we've been talking about all week long. It really is. You got to start creating a little margin in your lives, getting on a budget. It's hard to support anybody else and do anything for anybody else when you're slap broke just is. 
Create that margin in your life. Get out of debt. Stop paying all that interest. Stop wasting your money on stuff that's not actually being used. Support the local church with your tithes. It's biblical. And we don't want the ushers to get tased. Um, Ask God to show you opportunities to be generous. And this is one that that, that I struggled with for a long time. And then God kind of got my attention. I used to carry no cash. None. And so if God said, hey, help my buddy Charlie out. He's struggling this week. I'm not going to do that. But if I'm living a life of gratitude and saying, I want to help other people, but I haven't prepared any way to make that happen, am I really asking God to show me a way? Not really. I'm not expecting it. So carry a little cash. Carry some gift cards. Carry what you have. If all you've got is a can of beans to give out, carry it with you. It's a terrible example, but do something so that you can be ready to help others. Don't just walk around saying, y'all want to help, y'all want to help, I want to help, and walk around with your head down. Prepare yourself. And, and so that, that obedience sometimes works itself out in little ways, in big ways. Um, but pray about those opportunities to give. We've got some opportunities to give here in our church. Things that we've been talking about the last few weeks, things that we talk about a lot. Never alone. If, if y'all haven't seen Never Alone or never participated in this, don't know what it looks like, um, it's an amazing opportunity. Once a month, we pass out food here at the church. And I kid you not, cars are wrapped double and triple lined around the building waiting to get food. So that's an opportunity for us to be generous. Operation Christmas Child. We're prepping these boxes to go overseas and share the love of God with somebody else. That's an amazing opportunity. Um, foreign missions. We, we've, we've got some initiatives coming up with foreign missions soon. You're going to hear about them in, in the next little bit. Prepare for that. Hurricane Ian. Who knows, people are still struggling in Florida. Do you know that? We're still collecting money. We're still supporting that. And so those are some opportunities to help. But when he tells you to do something, don't sit there and tell him about what you can't do. Don't sit there and worry that somebody else is going to think this or somebody else is going to think that. When God gives you something to do, be obedient. I'm going to tell you a story um, from my own life. And I struggled with whether or not I wanted to share this. But understand this story is not about me. I'm not telling you this story to say, hey, look at what I did. Um, Because even the smartest or the dumbest donkey does smart things once or twice. And so this happened back in the 2000s-ish era. Um, Yes, I'm old. Um, And I was working for a tech company, and I had some stock options. I'm not going to explain what stock options are. If you know it, great. If you don't, you can ask me later. I'll explain it. Had some stock options. Picture in your mind, I had some money that, that I could access if I needed it. Great. Well, we were also working with a drug and alcohol abuse program that a couple of our friends from another church, had opened in their home. They were literally going out, getting men, because it was only men at this time, going out, getting men, bringing them in their home, and helping them get off drugs and alcohol. I remember sitting at a table with a 17-year-old kid, looking at me, saying, 
I'm going to die if you don't help me. And so they were running this ministry out of their home. And some of the neighbors, as you would expect, started to have some concerns. Once they figured out what was going on and figured out that there were some criminals next door, they said, hey, y'all got to go. And so they went and complained to the city, and the city finally says, okay, y'all need to find another home. You can't do this here. And so that was a big deal because this wasn't a heavily funded ministry. There was really no support. The way they supported the ministry was the gentleman also made cabinets, beautiful cabinets. And so he would go make cabinets and sell them, and that would pay for, for some of the treatment of the program. And, and so they had to move. And so they had found some property in North Georgia. And they needed a certain sum of money to put down as a down payment. They couldn't move without having some money. And so they, they made it known. They didn't even come and say, hey, I need X thousand dollars. We were just so connected with the ministry, we knew what was going on. And I remember God saying, hey, I want you to provide this. And, and I was like, God, I don't have any money. I don't have, I don't know what it was, $20,000, some number of money. More money than I had in my bank account. I said, God, I don't have that money. He said, yeah, but you have this stock. And I remember having this fight in my head saying, yeah, but I know guys that, that I work with that, that are already millionaires. I could be a millionaire in a couple of years. How can I give this? That this is mine. And I remember God asking me the question. He said, do you trust me or do you trust that stock for your livelihood, for your retirement, for your life? And I was like, okay. And so I, I did what I had to do. I got the money. I was able to help them. They moved to North Georgia. That was all great. Um, and it was a good opportunity for me to learn to be obedient. God didn't need my money. He needed me to change. The, the funny part about this story is the company that I worked for went bankrupt about a year and a half later. That stock that I had, worth nothing had I held it. Had I held on and said, no, this is mine, you can't have it. It would have been worth nothing. And so God used it as an opportunity to help fix me. And so we, we have a choice of which of these three attitudes we're going to pick. Are we going to be Martha? Are we going to be Judas? Are we going to be Mary? And so I want you to think about what you're being grateful for and what you're doing with that gratitude. I hope we're going to be Mary and say I'm grateful. Thank you for joining us for this week's service. We pray that God has used this moment to greatly impact your life. We invite you to live fully alive in Christ with us here at Full Life Church. We'll see you next week.